Did I ever pitch to you the my board game concept of where a board game about making a podcast? <laughs> no, how would that work? Well, you like I all of my games are just like go like chase resources, but you like have to do things to like raise capital to buy your audio setup. Okay. You can upgrade your mics. You have like you rent studio time and you and you're like competing to get like the highest like rating or some like most star review or whatever on your that's like your victory point me- metric. Now I think we should be doing this. I'm Hunter Pence and you're listening to the Misplay podcast. Oh yeah. Welcome to the Misplay, where we refuse to trade with anyone in Settlers of Catan out of principle. My name is Mark. My name is Jason. Where are we, Mark? Marketing. It's marketing week. It's marketing day. You're just trying to say your name more? As much as I can. Jason Day. We've done a lot of PR this week. We have. The first piece, the biggest piece of marketing I think that we worked on this week is Scott, who is a member of the Misplay completely redesigned the website. He took what I was doing on Wix and was like, ah, I have a better idea. I think it really speaks to Scott's skill set when an idea gets into his head about how to do something or he sinks his teeth into an idea. Scott goes very hard on that idea. And the website looks fantastic, themisplay.com. The other thing that Scott worked with me on is creating the ad text and the visual ad that ran this week on the Board Game Design Lab podcast. So we ran, there's a 30, 45 second ad at the beginning of his show. And then there's an ad on his newsletter and his Facebook page for the misplay. That's because we backed one of his Kickstarter projects called Find the Fun, which is going to be a whole episode at some point because Find the Fun is a board game slash book about making board games. So it's going to be something we talk about at, at some point. We also launched our newsletter. You did a lot of work on that. Yeah. Uh, our stated goal for the newsletter is to tell some of the stories that we don't get to tell on the show because we're trying very hard to adhere to a pretty rigid time constraint. And so that's what the purpose of the newsletter is. And, you know, even though, and I'll say honestly, it only went out to less than a dozen people, I really appreciate those people for signing up on the website, taking the time and giving their curiosity just to see um, what else we're working on. Because I'll tell you, there's not many times I've ever gone to a website and be like, oh, let me sign up for their thing until recently. Mark, how often have you ever done it? Two. Right. Hardly ever. But I do it now because I know it's really, really important um, for businesses and for you know people in our space that are trying to build a network of contacts so if you want to get our newsletter, it only went out by email, you can get it at themisplay.com. The other thing that we did this week was we played an Among Us game. We had kind of uh, it wasn't like a release party, but it was like, hey, the Misplay's back, come play Among Us with us, because it's something we used to do a lot in the past. So we got the band back together and played some Among Us this week. We hope to have some regular game nights going on in Discord. So stay tuned. It was really fun to re-engage with members of the community that have been supporting since before the relaunch 
Jason, was I a more tolerable player for Among Us to you this time? Yes. Mark has a history of when he plays Among Us. Mark is like, I've, I've said it before. Mark is a super nice guy. When he plays Among Us, though, like, dude is ruthless. You know, you're supposed to accuse people. Like, I'll kill somebody and, like, blame Mark. And Mark would come on the mic and be like, what the? No, I didn't. I can't believe you said that. I'm not going to play anymore if you say if you say I did that. I didn't do that. I'm not, I'm not playing if you say I did that. I saw you do it. I'm like, Mark, it's just a video game. I'm supposed to blame you. That is the goal. But he gets so mad. So you were much nicer. I'm really embarrassed that I sound like a baby rager. <laughs> it's just because you do not lie. Like you, you're just like, you're very straightforward. You're very honest. And you, when somebody else is like making something up about you, you used to just be like, so mad. I'm not playing anymore. Maybe I have a thicker skin now. Um, the other thing that uh, we did this week was we started listening to the masterclass that we were going to start. It's by Will Wright. It's called Fundamentals of Game Design. And about less than 10 minutes into it, he talked about something that we did in the first episode. And we, we both thought that was really cool. I'm going to play that clip right now. One of the things I really would inspire, try to inspire up-and-coming game designers to do is think, how do I learn continually, you know, from other people, learn from myself, my own mistakes, but then also just do it. Try it. You know, you can do something as simple as design a little game on a piece of paper and go show your friend. Let's play this game. Here are the rules. See, you know, see how that works out. And the more you're doing that, just always inventing little games, you know, even if it's with toothpicks on a tabletop, uh, you're going to learn a lot that way. And I really liked the way that he described drawing resources or drawing information from other areas of your life. It's we're not just game designers, right? You're a teacher. You're a golfer. I'm a dance fighter. I rock climb. I'm in school and to to take the to take your experience your lived experience as something that you can then draw from as you start to build your games and he described it as I think like use your life experience to design your palette and I think it shows in the games that we're going to talk about in a little bit before we start today before we get into the games that you and I have been working on this week's episode is brought to you by The Ark the ARC promotes and protects the human rights of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and actively supports their full inclusion and participation in the community throughout their lifetimes. There are many ways to show your support for individuals with disabilities. Find out how you can get involved today by visiting thearc.org. What are we working on? We came today to talk about the games that you and I have been thrown around in our heads for a few weeks and a little bit longer. We both have several games that we have talked to each other offline about just a little bit. We didn't, we didn't want to give each other a lot of details about it because we wanted the conversation to be organic on the show. But we each, have, we, we each have a lot of ideas and we knew that we could not get into all of them. So for example, I think the one that's going to break the most people's hearts, we're not going to go deep on the golf game today, even though that is the game that I think got us here that started the podcast. It was based on, you know, me as a kid looking for golf balls in the woods and selling them back to golfers. I had this other game where I was going to pitch some sort of social game because social games have always been really important to me and my family and my friends. I used to play Mafia as a kid, like before Among Us, I used to play Mafia 
with my family for, for years. With my friends, we played this game called Nouns in a Bag. And I thought, wow, I could bring that to a board game. And I actually got engaged during a game of Telestrations. What's that game? It's, it's the game where um, one person, you write a sentence and then you pass it to the next person and they read your sentence and then they draw a picture of your sentence. So, you know, it could be something silly like Mark rock climbing on Mars. And then they draw that, then they give that picture to the next person. And then we have to write a sentence that goes with it. So then it's like Mark rock climbing at the circle gym. And so it keeps changing as it goes around. And so through that game, I came up with a way to propose to my wife. So social games have always been really important to me, but it's not the game that I'm going to talk about today. What were some of the other games that we're not going to go into, but you were, you were thinking about? So I also came up with three games and the two that kind of didn't make the chopping block after our offline discussion was a trick-taking game that I had in my head as a trick-taking game for tricksters. I love that text you sent to me weeks ago. You were so excited to like, this is cool. I'm still a little bit holding on to the idea, but I think that line would look really good on the box. Right. My other game was a board game, an actual board game. Um, my first draft of games were three card games, and I was thinking to myself, oh, Jason's going to get mad that it's three card games. So I did make a change and sneak in a board game. It's called Nightmare Smashers. It's got two boards, a daytime and a nighttime, and two different play phases. During the day, you go and collect objects that chase away nightmares. And at night, you run around a neighborhood and give those objects to people who need to make their nightmares go away. One of the things I liked about that was when you were pitching it, was, was you were talking about no text. It was very visual. Yeah, I envisioned it as a children's game. Yeah, and so... That was one of the things is that, you know, even with my golf game, I envisioned that game as a children's game as well. But one of the things that we decided was uh, we're probably not going to make a children's game. What was the reason you gave? Two pieces. One, I want to make a game that I want to play. And two, there's a lot of the ancillary research and learning that we've done that has said you need to be deeply invested in the game that you're going to build or be passionate about the thing. Um, I wasn't sure that I would be able to be, to bring the level of passion that I would want to, to the project for a children's game. Uno is a good example, right? I think Uno is great. I teach it in my classroom. It's fun. It's very clear how to play. There's a little bit of nuance. There's a little bit of strategy, but when you call me up and are like, Hey Mark, come over and play games. <laughs> I'm not bringing Uno. So we're going to pitch the two games that Mark and I have spent kind of the most time fleshing out. And we haven't talked to each other a lot about these games, just a little bit, just enough that we're like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it on the show. And keep in mind that when we're 20 or 30 episodes out and we look back on this, the game that we end up deciding to make might not be either of these. It might be something completely different or these have totally morphed into something else. But this is where you start. You start with ideas and you talk about them and you, you, get ideas rebounded back to you, you get feedback. So we're going to talk about those two games right now. My game is, in, in my head this whole time, it's been called Checkout, but there's actually another IP associated with that. So I can't call it Checkout, but I might while we're talking here. This is a brilliant idea I've had for a long time. I think it should be an SNL sketch 
We've all been in a supermarket before. We've been in a checkout line, and then we've looked over at the line next to us and be like, damn, I got in the wrong one. I should have gotten that line. That line is faster. Like you look over and you see somebody that got in the line about the same time as you, and they're already up at the checkout, and you're still way back. And this happens when you're driving too, like when you're in traffic. You're driving, and you're like, oh, I wish I was in that lane. And then you go over into that lane, and then that lane slows down. So the idea is you are trying to check out of a supermarket, but all these things keep coming up and you never get out of line. So that, that was the sketch idea I've had for SNL. Like you have a character who just never gets out of line. They keep switching lines and the other lines move and this line freezes. So in my head, it is somewhere between two and four players. It's 30 to 45 minutes, asymmetrical characters where each of them have different abilities. You get to interact with the other lines. You can freeze a line with a card or something where you know, somebody like their credit card's not working. And so that line freezes and, and the people don't go forward. But in the other line, it does move up. Then you can jump and go to another line because it looks like it's moving faster. Um, one of the goals with this game is to keep it fun. I think having ways to interact with other people in the game is a way to do that. I've been thinking about a trading system that is not like Catan, right? Trading Catan is just, it's awful. Some people might love it. Some people might like it. I really hate trading in Catan. Like, there's just like, when you watch two other people trade and you know it's like not helping you at all, and in fact, you don't understand why that person's making that trade, you get really frustrated. There's always that person who's willing to give two resources away for one. And there's times when you need to do that, but that other person's in the lead. Like, why would you help them? <laughs> I don't understand. So like some sort of trading system with cards where it's just kind of automatic. You put a card up to be traded and somebody can just trade with you and you're willing to accept anything. And there's no like counter offer. There's no like, oh, okay, but you know, I won't build this road next to you. If you give me one sheep now, I won't build this other road, but I'll build this road if you don't give me that sheep. So anyway, I don't have the mechanics of the game fleshed out. That's not something that I have spent a lot of time on. For me, it's been focused on I want to recreate this experience where you're in this checkout line and you're trying to get out and all these other things can happen to make it more interesting. I think you hit your stated goal. It's very easy for me to visualize the way that this game would play. Like I can kind of imagine the board. I can imagine the setup of the checkout line. I can imagine the events or the different things that might happen. Something that popped into my head, there needs to be like the cashier goes to lunch and it's the cashier yeah. that's not going to do, oh, I can do one more. It's time to go to lunch, man. Yeah. Yeah. Lane closed. They put that little thing up. They turn off the light. The yep. light goes off. Yeah. Right when you're at the right when it's your turn. Yeah. Oh, it's the worst. I was even thinking about like my level of research was like, I'm going to go to, there's got to be a cashier's Reddit where they talk about life as, you know, in a supermarket and get some ideas. <laughs> so that's my next step. <laughs> Tell us about your game. I took a different approach. I thought very little about how the game is going to feel or the the experience or the narrative that I would be telling. We both liked Storybook Brawl when that was a thing. Very much so. And we had in passing talked about the possibility of trying to turn that into a board game. So my the game that I thought about was, well, what are the fundamental mechanical pieces of an auto battler? I buy my units. So I have this buying phase. I buy units that then go onto my board. And then my board then competes with my opponent's board. And so there's kind of this two-phase thing, right? They go back and forth hitting each other until 
either both boards are clear or somebody wins. And then you go back into your buy phase with whatever resources you're going to do. I envision this game as a card game, right? So like there's a buy row kind of similar to how you would think of Star Realms or Dominion and you compete for the buying. You buy your units and then you have a unit, a board of five. And instead of doing like a dice rolling thing, did you ever play anything like Tekken or Soul Calibur? No, I haven't. So there's a mode in these in some of these fighting games where you have a team of units, your opponent has a team of units, and you go 1v1v1v1 until somebody doesn't have any. So this would be your board. I have my five units. My opponent has their five units. My units, the first two units fight until one loses, and then that one moves on. And you just kind of do this survival mode until the game is clear. It would eliminate a lot of like needless dice rolling time, but that would be the game. You fill up your board and you play some number of rounds or... I haven't decided the end condition, but that would essentially be the two play patterns. You'd have establishing and setting up your board, you'd have buying the units for your board, and then you'd have the the competing phase that would be automated. What is your, I know from playing games with you, one of the things that you dislike the most in any game is RNG. You really hate random. This game isn't going to be random. Okay. The or, So the the order of your units, you get to set, you set it blind, and then you reveal when it's time for that unit to compete. So the order is predetermined, but you have autonomy in how you choose your your pieces. I'm also thinking about like a coaching mechanic because now it's like in my head it's become this like MMA like fighting game, right? So yeah. there's a coaching mechanic. You have your corner, which might turn into like the spells equivalent in your auto, in your auto battler, where you can essentially like you have a, a small set of things that you can change about your board during the competing phase in my head thinking about the auto battlers that we've played math there's a lot of math involved i mean i'm thinking about some of the units in you know that in games we've played where they could have a thousand hit points and they're hitting something with you know 773 hit points and i need to know what's left over so in my head like i'm trying to do that math what is have you spent time yet thinking about how you're declaring if a unit wins or loses It'll be some kind of like hit point total. There'll essentially be like characteristics of the cards. So if there's the grappler, the grappler has like some number of hit points. The grappler has some number of attack and it probably has some modifiers against some of the other types of fighters. And then you'd essentially like they go back and forth. I hit for two, you hit for one, I hit for two, you hit for one. But if I have two hit points and you have six hit points, my guy loses and yours would move on. Um, the scaling won't be nearly as extreme because we won't have the computing power when you're playing on a tabletop. One of the things that we wanted to hit on is this idea of board game versus card game and then versus tabletop game as well. Because the, the slogan for this podcast is a podcast about making a company making a board game. And here's my question to you. Is a card game a board game? I say yes. You look skeptical. I am skeptical. Board game has a board is like my definition of what a board game is. So like checkout has a board. Would auto battler have a board? I can envision a board where you have a mat where you lay out where your cards go. Oh, it's a board game. Okay. I win. (laughs) But I think it's a good question, right? Like I look at tabletop game as the largest umbrella. And then you have, under that, you could have board games that have all of its genres, your war games, your root builders, your tableau builders, whatever else. 
you could have card games that are under also under the tabletop umbrella. You could have tabletop role-playing games that are under the umbrella. But I think in the social groups that I have participated in, I would argue that board game in common use is the largest umbrella instead of tabletop game. And if you want to go into like the technical details, the people who are like have very strong opinions, I can see the argument for a tabletop game being the largest umbrella and board game being the subgenre. But I think common use board game is the largest umbrella. I think I only care if we end up creating a card game and a listener is like, these dudes said they were making a board game. This is a card game and that's different. I don't like it. You tricked me with your trick taking game for tricksters. I wouldn't, that's the only, I am fine with a card game if that's what we end up creating first. Mm. Because, you know, we have the, we have the, the hopes, the dreams that this isn't our only game. But if it was our first game, I would be fine with that. Maybe we'll have to table that discussion. Well done. <laughs> He's laughing. I can feel all my friends rolling their eyes at me. Um, I think that's something we should continue discussing as we begin the foray into what we're going to be doing next in terms of designing the game. But the thing that really stands out to me is all of your games were built around designing an experience first. And like I said, it was very easy for me to visualize how to play your grocery store game. Checkout. Yeah. Quotes. TM. Yeah. I, when I designed my games, I kind of came at it from the other end, right? I started with the mechanical framework of how these games would be played. And that informed, you know, my early thoughts on what the game would look like. I know we're not committing to building one of these games, but I think it would be useful to maybe consider at some point, we're just going to have to select something and go forward. And in the interest of remaining flexible, maybe it would be useful to consider which mode are we going to choose for the process of developing the first game? Are we going to go with a design the experience or are we going to take a mechanical framework and design the experience around like which path to building the game are we going to choose? I had a very, to what you're saying, similar conversation with a, with a patron of the show actually, where they were talking about the games they have really enjoyed. They have discovered that the creator created the mechanic, the game designer created the mechanic first and the games they haven't enjoyed as much have been games they have found that the game designer created the theme first and then developed the mechanics that go with it. I don't think there's a right or wrong. You know, I think, I think anecdotes are really useful in how we're, how we're going to go forward with our, our design process. Another kind of the opposite end of that, the, Innist the first Innistrad block in Magic the Gathering was designed with that theme first, right? They did Horror World. And they built everything around that thematic concept. And I think Innistrad was incredibly well received. It's a really great draft format. And so it had it has your experience first moment um, and is very commercially successful. Whereas like you could look at a different magic set. I think it's Exodus or Tempest. There have been sets in Magic the Gathering where they're like, here are the two mechanics that we're building for the set. And then they built the set around here's the mechanics. And so like there's there's success in both in both avenues. So one of the things that I think we have come to an agreement on is that we are aiming for 
a small box game. What we define as a small box game. Gloomhaven, not a small box game. I was going to say expand for those of us who haven't read the, the glossary yet. I don't know if there's like a technical, real, actual definition of what a small box game is. Um, but the idea is that it literally has a small footprint. It's a, it's a smaller box. They generally don't cost, I don't think they cost more than $30, $40 at max. They are not, you know, there's not a million pieces inside of them. Because that's one of the things, especially as a first-time designer for us, is cost is going to be keeping our cost down, you know, keeping the box small, keeping the pieces limited is something that's going to be really important to us. So we want it to be a game that someone can just look at the rules, understand how to play in 10 minutes and start playing and be done with a game in less than an hour, 30 minutes to like, I think like 45 minutes is really that sweet spot. So I think our goal now is you and I have to create some sort of prototype skeleton versions of these games that we can bring back to each other and say, this was my idea. This is what I've done with it. What do you think now? I don't think either one of us listened to the, the pitches and we're like, yeah, let's do that for sure. hundred percent. Let's throw out my idea or let's not do your idea. Do my, like, I think we're in a place where we just need to develop these ideas further before we can say, yeah, this is something I want to explore. And we want to think about, does it matter if we're developing theme first or does it matter if we're developing mechanics first? In the world where we want to remain flexible and not overcommit to checkout trademark or auto battler, I think it makes sense to use these as tests for if the process starts with theme versus if the process starts with mechanic, do we find something in the early designs and in the early playtesting that says, yes, we want to go mechanic first or absolutely we want to go theme first. I think there's value to both. And I think having a concrete attempt at both avenues will be really informative for a decision, a more permanent decision about the game that ultimately we create. What's next? On our next episode, we're not going into the games yet, but we're really lucky, really fortunate to have a local game designer from Lioness Games named Leonie come on and talk about her game that is about to launch on Kickstarter called Biome. And Mark, you got to go playtest this game at our local gaming store. Yeah, it was great. The game was really fun. Leonie was really kind and a, one, a good teacher of her game um, and had a really neat story, which I'm not going to give away because I think it should be hers to tell. Um, I found it inspiring to be in the same room with somebody who has done this, like done what we're about to try and do and is on the precipice of finishing the project the way that we envision finishing ours. Um, I think she'll have a lot of valuable information to share with us and anybody who listens. Stay tuned. The Misplay Podcast is brought to you by Mike C, Missy, JP Savard, Parney, Consider donating at patreon.com slash themisplay. If you'd like to become a featured sponsor of the show, find our FAQ in Discord. Well, like, look at Wingspan. Is Wingspan a board game or a card game? Board game, no question. I have what? to cut that from the podcast. Why? What do you mean, why? 
There's a board. There's literally a board. It comes with a board. You could set that. You could set the game up without the board and still play the game. How? You'd have to know what the board tells you what the things do. Sure, but it's a ridiculous question. <laughs> Jason can't possibly disagree. All right, my argument does fall a little flat now that I think about it. <laughs> it's a board game. <laughs> there are eggs. It comes with a board. It's a board game. <laughs>